0: Hello, I'm Steve for Capital City Law.
1: And I'm Jen Wolf with Wolf Legal.
0: In this episode of Can't Take It With You, we're going to talk about will-based planning. And what do you do if you don't have a will? Will Will-based planning is the process of putting together during your lifetime a plan for what's going to happen when you pass away.
1: But backing up, most American adults do not want to consider death. We know this very well. And I think the statistics are are all over the place, but generally speaking, the statistics I've seen have said that about 60 to 65% of American adults have zero estate planning, so they have not contemplated forming a will. They are taking the ostrich approach, pretending that death is not going to happen to them. And they are in a position called intestacy, which means they are going to have their estate pass based on the legislative statutes that are in place in whatever state they're living in here in Idaho. Idaho has a set of statutes that will come into play. If you do not have a plan, the state will make one for you. And that's called you are intestate or you're passing through intestacy.
0: Right. Intestacy generally just means that you've died without a will. And when you die without a will, then, you know, it's not that your assets just pass automatically. Matter of fact, um, death ends our existence, but it does not end our ownership of assets. And so... The state has the state of Idaho and any state that you reside in have an interest in making sure that assets continue to pass to living people who are alive, who can make decisions about that property. And so if you haven't stepped in and done your own plan, which is a will, then the state is going to tell you what your estate has to do when you're no longer here.
1: And often this leads to unintended consequences. I had a client call and, and they were explaining to me that their father was getting older and that he needed to put a will in place. And I asked a little bit more about their family situation. And it turned out that the, the father had two biological children and then he had three stepchildren that he had raised from birth. And he, he loved them very much. They were all part of the family, but he had never legally adopted those children. And so his anticipation was that when he passed away, his estate could be divided five ways amongst all of those kids which it definitely can be if he writes that down in a will. However, if he passes away intestate, the state will not recognize those stepchildren who he never legally adopted as his legal heirs. And so that's what we mean by unintended consequences. That would have created a huge problem for that family. And luckily, we were able to avoid it with some planning. But this is, this is what we're getting at with why a will is important, why it's something you want to consider.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The unintended consequences can be pretty dire too. Um, situations where You don't do a will and maybe you do have a spouse, but you have separate property that has never been commingled as a community property asset. And we'll talk about community property in another episode. But... There's some consequences to that because if you don't have an instruction in place, you may assume all your assets are going to go to your surviving spouse, but actually only half of those will go to your surviving spouse, and half of them are going to go to whoever your legal heirs are, which is generally your children or grandchildren. And so these unintended consequences are things that most people don't think about, and it's a prime reason why you should go in and sit down with a qualified attorney to walk through this process. You know, I get clients that'll call all the time, and they'll say, well, Steve, why can't I just go to LegalZoom or some other online document preparation service. And I say, well, the reason is, is because you're not familiar with all of everything that may happen. And because we're experienced, we've done this, and we've seen these uh, different scenarios that have happened, we can walk you through and help you understand that you're not going to be thinking through as you're filling out that form online what the possibilities are and we can help you do that.
1: So what is a last will and testament? A Last will and testament is a document you use, it's a plan that you draft, to provide specific instructions about what you want accomplished after you pass away. So it has two primary functions. The first function is to make sure that your assets pass in the manner that you desire. And the second equally important function, if you have minor children, is a last will and testament is the document where you designate guardians for those children.
0: And doing that, making sure that you have clear instructions as to how your assets are going to pass and how your children are going to be taken care of becomes so important. Because if you don't do that, then the state of Idaho still has an interest in trying to figure that out. And just imagine if your minor children are sitting there and you've not done any kind of planning, well, then the state of Idaho has to step in and decide where is this child going to go? And if they don't have a clear place where they can place that children with a family member, that child potentially could go into the foster care system. So there's circumstances and situations that you really need to sit down with and make sure that you draft into your will that I think most people aren't thinking about.
1: So to have a legally enforceable will, what is required? Well, you have to be over the age of 18. You have to be of sound mind. So you have to have the testamentary capacity to make that will. And then you have to sign that document in front of two disinterested witnesses. So don't think that you can draft up your will and have the folks that you're leaving all of your money to be your witnesses. That That's not going to be your best plan. But you need to have disinterested witnesses and go ahead and get that signed. And that document will be legally binding and a court will enforce it in a probate proceeding.
0: Yeah. Jen, too many times I've seen in, in the 18 years that I've been in practice of situations where people come in and they are luckily still alive and they brought in what they think is their will. And I'm reviewing it and I'm having the task of trying to explain to them that no, that will has not been drafted appropriately because they don't have all of the technical requirements that you just talked about. One that I've dealt with recently was a situation where a husband had drafted a will, took it in, had it notarized, thinking that that was all that needed to happen, not understanding that you actually have to have two witnesses. The the notary could certainly act as one of those witnesses, but they didn't have a second witness. And in that scenario, there was no valid will. And so his probate was an intestate probate because he didn't have a valid will. There's other types of wills as well. There's holographic wills that are recognized in Idaho. A holographic will is a will that's entirely written in your own handwriting, um, signed, doesn't even have to be dated, just has to be your signature and it w- entirely in your handwriting. Not the necessarily best way to do your will, um, because it, it it could be challenged because we don't know that that's actually you. We'd have to bring in evidence that that's your handwriting. But Idaho does recognize it. And so it is one of those ways that um, people can pass Uh, their estate. If at the end of their life, they don't have the ability to actually do an official will, that's one way that people can prepare their estate.
1: And in your will, you name your beneficiaries. And I think it's really important for folks to know that you have complete control over your beneficiaries. You have control over who gets what and when. And you also have the control to disinherit someone if you so desire. And so I think it's um, an important aspect to think through really, who are you trying to leave your assets to? Is there a time frame that you want to leave them in? And is there anyone that you want to make sure does not inherit from you? Because as we mentioned, if you do nothing and you fall under the law of intestacy then your spouse will be the presumed heir. If not a spouse, your children and, and their heirs. And then if no children, it flows back up to your parents and your siblings out from there. Let's say you've had a split in your family with a child and you want to make sure that they do not inherit for a variety of reasons. This is something that you can write down in a will. You have the ability to control that decision.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things that you need to understand is that under the uh, default rules of the, of the probate code, Your natural blood heirs have some natural ability to receive things. And so that's why it's important if you want to disinherit somebody that you actually specifically state that you do not want them to receive anything. Otherwise, they have an argument to be made, at least in the court, that they should receive some form of a distribution. Um, And so it just becomes important for you to put in your wishes, what you want to have happen and how you want that to happen. Another thing that happens in a a will is you get to appoint your personal representative or your executor. Um, In Idaho, it's called a personal representative. Um, Some states, they still call it executor or executrix. Um, But it is the person that is going to be in charge of making sure that that will gets through that probate process, through the court process, and that they're the person that's in charge of making distributions to your beneficiaries. And so you naming that person is very important and, and getting the right person in place because that person is the one that you're entrusting to make sure your wishes happen.
1: And as we previously mentioned, another very important job of a will is that it is where you name guardians for your minor children. And Steve mentioned sort of the heartache that can occur if guardians aren't named. One of the things that's really important to consider is that once you pass away, if you have minor children, there may be a disagreement in your family about who would be the best fit to raise those children going forward. And the worst case scenario for your kids is if something happens to you and then there's internal family bickering about what should happen to them. So we want to make sure that your wishes are clearly laid out so that that's avoided. Another really important function in a will is that you have the ability along with your will to create a personal property memorandum so you can dictate what you're doing with your personal property. So. That is any sort of family heirlooms or jewelry or things that have sentimental value to you. You know, we don't want there to be a, a family argument about the favorite pie plate, as Steve has seen in his own practice. So we want to make sure that you have a chance to dictate with that personal property memorandum, where do you want your things to go?
0: Yeah. You don't want to have your family having to deal with creating a custody arrangement for that pie plate. <laughs> no, <you really laughs> it, don't. Just, it just becomes, you know, it becomes silly, but the, what we see also often in when we're dealing with um, the emotions when somebody passes away is a lot of times there's not a lot of rational thought that is going on. And so people sometimes throw out their logic and they, they do irrational things when it comes to trying to deal with the grief of, of uh, a family member that has passed. And so- um, our goal as the, as the attorney is to help the family to be able to design the plan so we can minimize some of that. And, and so um, it, it's, it's one of the areas of the law where we get, to, we get to actually be counselors is we get to help people counsel through those, those situations. Jen, what can't we do?
1: So one of the most important things to note about your will is that it has no impact while you are living. And what that means is the person you have appointed as your personal representative does step in on your behalf once you pass away, and they're shepherding your estate through the probate process. However, they are not able to act on your behalf at all while you're living. So this is not the same thing as a power of attorney. That's another really important document that we will talk about on a later episode. But it's just important to note that a will really only comes into effect once you've passed away.
0: Yeah. So that is so important because we'll have people that'll come into our office and they'll say, well, I'm mom or dad's executor or personal representative. And we understand what they mean. They mean that they're the named person, but they're not actually in any capacity of authority at that point because mom and dad are still alive. And so it's very important to understand. Also, a, a will does not pass assets clearly. What happens is is because you, as the deceased person, um, still have your name on the title, um, that's the whole process of the probate and what probate can do. And so the will itself doesn't necessarily provide us any ability to do anything. It's the probate process that puts your personal representative in the authority of being able to make sure those transfers uh, happen uh, effectively and efficiently. It also cannot control beneficiary listings. And then, what I mean by this is if you have a life insurance policy or a um, 401k or an IRA, some kind of a qualified retirement account, those beneficiary designations are what is going to control the distribution of those assets. Your will has no control. Even if you name in there specifically and you say, hey, I have this account and this account I want to go here. If that's contrary to what the beneficiary designation says, the beneficiary designation is going to trump.
1: The important thing that we always like to emphasize with our clients is that the will is your plan, meaning you can change it. So I have had some clients come into my office and they'll say, well, you know, I created this will 20 years ago and I don't really like what it says anymore, but I guess I'm stuck with it. And that is not the case. Your will is not set in stone. You can update your wishes. Um, you can revise them. It is called a codicil when we amend a will and it still has the legal requirements that your will has. So it still needs to be signed in front of witnesses, but. It is possible to update your wishes and to make sure your plan still works for you if your family circumstances have changed, if your um, financial circumstances have changed. We always recommend that it's a good idea to come in and talk to your estate planning attorney after a major life event. So after a birth or a death, if someone has moved out of state, a divorce, any change in your financial circumstances, or especially after a long passage of time, it's really wise to review that document again. What
0: I have seen has been that most of the time, um when we see a family that is actually prepared at will it was sometime when their first or second child was born they decided that they needed to put their will in place and the next time they reviewed it coincided with when that those children were getting ready to leave to go to college so you know it's 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 a pretty long 18, 19 year time frame that people sometimes take to review their will. We advocate that you review them more often just to make sure that your wishes and what you want to have happen do do get um, effectuated into that document. But Jen's right. It's not set in stone. And that is a very common misconception that people think is that um. Hey, you know, I have this will and I can't change it. No, you actually can. You just have to go in and sit down with your with your estate planning attorney.
1: So, Steve, we have talked a little bit about how if you pass away intestate or you pass away with a will, your estate is going to go through the probate process. Can you explain a little bit more? This is a word I think many of us are familiar with, but we might have a lack of clarity of what that really means.
0: Right. So the probate process is, like like we've briefly talked about, it's an administrative process through the court system generally, but it can convert and become litigation if we have people that are stepping in to object or contest. And so generally the process starts out with the petition to the court, requesting the court to recognize the will as valid and to recognize the appointment of the personal representative that's listed. Um, And that's generally a petition that gets sent to the court. The judge reviews everything. The will gets attached, and the judge reviews it, makes sure that it conforms with all the technical requirements. And then he issues an order uh, called a statement of appointment of personal representative and probate of the will. If you do not have a will and you're going through the probate process in an intestate capacity, what you're doing is petitioning the court and saying, we, there is no will for this deceased person, but we want to appoint a personal representative. And so the judge looks at everything, reviews the petition, appoints the personal representative, and that begins the process. The process is then once those orders have been issued, a statement and then what are called letters of administration or letters, of, letters testamentary, That's what puts the personal representative now with the authority to be able to go deal with and basically what we call marshal the assets, figure out what all the assets are, and then start to look at what all the obligations are, any outstanding debt that exists, and start making sure that that all gets satisfied. And there's just a series of things under the the probate code that has to happen, such as notices that go out to heirs and devisees and notices that go out to creditors. And so that process... Is an administrative process unless somebody steps in and contests, and then it just becomes a lawsuit, um, and and where the judge is now actively involved, and you have discovery potentially issues that are going to happen, and and Jen can talk more to the litigation side of things. Um, hopefully, with most, pro, I would say with most probates, which is probably ninety five percent of all pro, probates, they're in an informal. It's just a, an administrative process to get it through the the, the system.
1: And that process in Idaho typically takes about 6 to 12 months. Often the personal representative will hire an attorney to help walk them through that process. So there are some court costs and potentially attorney fees that are associated with that process. But that is what allows the court to make sure there is a clear title on those assets. We've talked about the reason that the court cares, the reason this process even exists, is because we want to make sure that all assets that are passing through someone's estate have a clear title and so they can go on to their new owner and um, be properly held and properly owned. So we've talked about the probate process, but there are some ways to avoid probate, and some of these things we'll get into a little bit more on future episodes, but you know, one of the ways to avoid probate is through a small estate affidavit. So if someone has passed away and the total value of their property – is uh, less than $100,000. They didn't own any real property, so they don't have any real estate. We can go ahead and file what's called a small estate affidavit, and, and that's one of the ways that we can avoid probate. And Steve, what are, what are a couple of the other ways? A
0: couple of the other ways for us to avoid probate is using the Idaho Probate Code has a, a section that deals with what are called non-probate transfers. Uh, non-probate transfers generally fall into categories such as beneficiary designations for life insurance and retirement accounts. Just like we talked about, um, those are going to to dictate the beneficiary designation is going to dictate who receives, and and it's really irrelevant what you've put in your will or your trust because that beneficiary designation is going to dictate what happens. And so, it, by its very nature, it avoids probate because we've named somebody to for it to be to receive it. A trust will also, if it's properly drafted and properly funded, meaning the assets have been properly titled to the trust. Uh, The trust can avoid probate as well because the trust is a private agreement whereby you've created the rules and you've put in place the automatic positions of authority, such as your successor trustee, that will step in if you're deceased. And we don't have to ask a judge's permission. It's just going to happen really by the very nature of the contract and the obligation that you've created for the successor trustee to step in and the assets to be managed that way. And so there are ways to avoid probate, and it's just a matter of us sitting down and being able to educate our clients as they come in and sit down with us in our office that um, if a goal of yours is to make sure your family doesn't have to deal with the probate process, then there's other tools that we need to put in place. And I think that's something that is so important for clients to understand is— these things you're not going to know. And it's it's just simply because these this is the legal world. That's why attorneys go to law school. We learn all these things, and that's why we're here to assist you and help you.
1: So thanks for joining us as we chatted today on Can't Take It With You about what in fact is a last will and testament and why do you or do you not need one? We're going to be back with future episodes talking about other estate planning topics, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon.